I was just wondering, are there any kids here today who don't know they're supposed to brush their teeth every day? Or put away their toys? Or pick up their room? Are there any teens who don't know they have to get their homework done? And if they're driving, they must be careful. Well, if you know these things, why do your parents keep telling you them over and over and over again? Isn't it enough just to know what you're supposed to do? Apparently not. Apparently not. Just knowing something doesn't mean you do it, and we do forget. Parents have learned there's a need for regular reminders, and so have preachers. We know Peter did. He said so in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. Regular reminders are needed, are right, and are remembered. They're needed. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. Well, what are these things that Peter is always ready to remind us of? Well, in the first 11 verses of this letter, he has told us who Jesus is and what he expects us to do. Jesus, you may recall from two weeks ago, is the God of power, the God of generosity, the God of excellence, the God of promises, the God who shares himself, and the God who delivers. And as such, Jesus, who is God, has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. He has made it possible for us to share the divine nature And he has enabled us to escape the corruption that is in the world. Peter made that clear. Then he went on to tell us that if we would be like God, we would have to put into practice the things Christ has made available to us. We would have a part to play in this. We would have to supply the effort to practice moral excellence. Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He went so far as to warn us that if these things aren't in our life and aren't increasing, we prove ourselves to be useless, 
unfruitful, blind, and short-sighted. We have forgotten what it is we've been saved from and saved to do. So Peter was always ready to remind us of these things again and again. Jesus also knew we needed regular reminders. Before he gave himself for us on the cross, he took some bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, surely they wouldn't forget it. In just a few hours, they would actually see Jesus' body hanging on a cross. How could they ever forget what he did for them and why? But Jesus knew they would. And he knew we would if we didn't have regular reminders of what he did for us. You know, we know that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. That truth is well established in us. But we still need to be reminded of it regularly. Oh, we don't actually forget it. It's always on our hard drive. We just don't pull it up when we're processing the day-to-day decisions in our hectic lives. So Jesus makes us pull it up at least once a week. As we hold symbols of his body and blood in our hand, we're not only forced to remember what he did for us, we're forced to ask ourselves what difference his death makes in our life every day. Now, we can know the truth but not act upon it. So we need to hear it again and again and be challenged again and again to act upon it. That's why parents have to remind children of things they already know and why preachers can spend their life preaching through the same book to the same people. In the last 43 years, I've preached through the books of the New Testament twice, Several of the books, three times, and the book of Acts, four times. I've already preached through Second Peter twice in 79 and in 98. So why am I doing it again? Is it time for me to just quit preaching? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe you do? I don't. Barclay, in the study... Daily Study Bible Series. I was asked who Barclay was last week. Good question. There's your answer. Barclay has said, Preaching is very often reminding a man of what he already knows. It is the bringing back to his memory that truth which he has forgotten or at which he refuses to look or whose meaning he has not fully appreciated and realized. So regular reminders are needed, and they are right. Peter said, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me.
we have a responsibility to remind each other of what we know to be true. And to stir each other into action. The writer of Hebrews confirms this. When those in the church were deciding they didn't need to gather, he said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says we need to get together regularly and stir each other to action and keep at the forefront of our mind who we are and what we've been called to do. In this life, we are to stimulate one another, to provoke one another, to incite one another, not to riot, but to love and to good deeds. We are to stir one another up. The word Peter actually uses means to rouse or to awake from sleep. Sometimes we need to shake one another and wake each other up. We need to do what I overheard a coach mumble after what he thought to be a missed call last week. He said, someone needs to shake his seen eye dog and wake him up. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) We can't ignore a brother or sister who's fallen asleep spiritually, who's closed their eyes. To what they know to be true. We have a responsibility to keep each other awake and alert and ready. Because we don't know how long they have or how long we have. You know, no one is going to sleep through the second coming. But some will be asleep when he appears. And like the five foolish virgins, they won't be ready. And it'll be too late. To do anything about it. If you knew Jesus was coming back this afternoon, is there anyone you would shake? Or if you knew your days were numbered, is there anyone you would make a special effort to stir up spiritually? That's what Peter says he's doing. He's stirring them up while he still has the chance, as long as he is still in his earthly dwelling, his body. The word literally means his tent or tabernacle, a temporary dwelling. Paul also referred to the body as a tent in 2 Corinthians 5.1. He said, for we know that if the earthly tent which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Peter says as long as he's in his tent, he's going to keep them stirred up with regular reminders of who Jesus is and what he expects of them. And the intensity of his efforts is no doubt increasing because Jesus had made it clear to him that the laying aside of his tent was imminent. He wasn't going to be around much longer. Now, Jesus had predicted some 30 years earlier that Peter would be stretched out on a cross. And the political climate was ripe 
for such a thing to take place in the very near future, and it would. It's also possible that through the Spirit, Jesus had actually told Peter he was going to die very soon. Either way, he knew his days were numbered. And he was committed to using them in such a way as to keep his brothers and sisters mindful of Jesus and their responsibilities to him. He wanted to be sure that after his death, his regular reminders would be remembered. He said, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. In a similar way, Moses knew that his days were numbered. God had told him that he wouldn't be allowed to enter the promised land with the children of Israel. So before his departure, he gathered the people together and once again went over all the laws of God with them. He even wrote them out a second time in Deuteronomy, which means the second law or a repetition of the law. Moses knew the people would need to hear the law again and again. And he did everything he could to make sure they would remember it. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9, we read, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord our God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and on your frontals of your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Not only did Moses want the children of Israel to remember what he said, he wanted them to remember what their own fathers and mothers said. And so he charged the parents to diligently teach the law and love of God to their children. If we were to paraphrase his instructions to parents today, we would probably say, talk about Jesus around the dinner table. And when you go on vacation or go to the park, Share with your kids your excitement over the wonder of God's creation. Look for his handiwork everywhere. When you tuck your kids in at night, read Bible stories to them and pray with them. 
When you get them up in the morning, sing to them and send them out the door wrapped in the love of God. Go ahead and wear religious jewelry and T-shirts and ball caps. Don't be afraid to publicly acknowledge your faith and put scripture quotes around the house. Do everything you can to keep your kids ever mindful of who they are and whose they are. And make every effort to leave behind a legacy of faith that will call these truths to mind even after you're gone. Years ago, Focus on the Family published an article entitled Footprints of Faith, written by a Wendy Lawton. And that article speaks directly and effectively to this matter. She opened the article by telling of her discovery of a brittle piece of paper among folded family photos, or faded family photos, that contained a note that a great-grandmother she never knew had written. The little note simply said, This day, July 10, 1912, I hereby sign and give my son Robert over to the Lord, for the Lord to redeem his soul from sins and to make him an earnest Christian all through life and to take the whole care of him until he has landed safely on the other side is the earnest prayer of his mother, Elizabeth Coates. Sadly, Robert chose to live his life without acknowledging the God of his mother. But her prayer was answered in generations to come. And the record of her faith became a valuable family footprint of faith. She concluded her article by writing, How important are family footprints of faith? Those tracks that lead to the Lord. We hear reports of increasing alienation in America, People separated from their families by thousands of miles. We no longer pass family histories and oral traditions from generation to generation, yet we yearn for a sense of connection as never before. As parents, we spend a lifetime communicating our faith to our children, a communication that must compete with countless other distractions of living. Yet when we are gone... Our children will sift through our belongings and treasure each memento we leave behind. Why not leave footprints of our faith that will challenge and deepen their spiritual journey? She then gave some suggestions in a side box of several ways we could leave a record of our spiritual journey. She suggested writing notes in our Bible, and underlying favorite passages that others will someday see. Journaling, so future generations will know of our spiritual struggles and victories. Writing letters to family members that can be saved and read again and again. Keeping a family hymnal with favorite hymns noted. She also encouraged the writing of poems, painting pictures, making items that reflect our faith, leaving behind things that will bear witness to our faith long after we're gone. 
She concluded the side box with these words. Your life of faith will leave a trail of stories and memories in your wake. Our desire should be that we will be remembered not for who we were or what we did, but for whom we lived. I like that. I'm going to read it again. (laughs) Your life of faith will leave a trail of stories and memories in your wake. Our desire should be that we will be remembered not for who we were or what we did, but for whom we lived. That's what Peter is saying in verse 15. I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. Our regular reminders will be remembered if we are diligent about making them. So don't hesitate to say again and again what your children need to hear most. Share your faith regularly and make sure your kids know that you have a Savior. And you want him to be their savior too.